Chapter 12 Kolya conducted the prince the short distance to Lutienia to a café cum billiard room. It was on the ground floor with a door onto the street. To the right, Adalion Alexandrovich was sitting in a separate cubicle in the corner, like some ancient habitué. There was a bottle in front of him on the table, and the Independence Belge, no less, in his hands. He was waiting for the prince. As soon as he caught sight of him, he laid aside his paper and started on a heated and voluble explanation of which the prince understood almost nothing, since the general was already far from sober. I haven't got exactly ten rubles, the prince broke in. Here's twenty-five. Change that and give me fifteen. Otherwise I'll be left without a penny myself. Oh, certainly, and rest assured, this very minute. Besides which, I have a certain favor to ask of you, General. You've never been at Nastasia Filipovna's, have you? I? I not been? Is that what you're saying? On several occasions, my dear fellow, several exclaimed the general exultantly, in an excess of complacent irony. I gave up going myself in the end, not wanting to encourage an unseemly union like that. You saw for yourself. You were a witness this afternoon. I did everything a father could do, a mild and indulgent father, that is. Now another kind of father is going to take the stage, then we'll see. We certainly shall— Will the old and honored warrior defeat the intrigue, or is some shameless Camille to gain entry into a most noble household? What I actually wanted to ask you was whether you could take me to Nastasia Filipovna's this evening as a guest. It has to be today. I have a reason, but I have no idea how to get in. I was introduced today, but not invited. The party is by invitation, but I don't mind disregarding a few of the niceties or even being laughed at as long as I can get in somehow. You've hit upon my idea exactly, my young friend, exclaimed the general rapturously. I didn't ask you to come here because of this trifle, he went on, taking the note, however, and transferring it to his pocket. I actually called you to invite you to accompany me on an expedition to Nastasia Filipovna's, or rather, against Nastasia Filipovna. General Evilgen and Prince Mishkin. Imagine what you'll think of that. Under the pretext of a courtesy visit on her birthday, I shall let my will be known at last. Indirectly, not straight out, but just as effectively. Then Gagne will see how he stands. It's either his father, honored and, so to speak, and so forth, or it's, well, what will be, will be. Your idea is a capital one, first class, We'll set off at nine o'clock. There's plenty of time. Where does she live? A long way from here, by the Bolshoi Theatre, in Mitovtsev's house, practically on the square, first floor. It won't be a large party, even if it is her birthday, and they'll break up early. The evening was getting on. The prince was still sitting waiting as the general started on countless stories without getting to the end of any of them. When the prince came in, the old man had ordered another bottle and finished it in an hour, then asked for another and finished that as well. In the course of all this, he must have got through the story of his life. At length, the prince rose and said he could wait no longer. The general drank off the last dregs from the bottle, got up and walked outside very unsteadily. The prince was in despair. He couldn't understand why he'd been so stupidly taken in. In actual fact, that had never been the case. He had been reckoning on the general solely as a means of getting to Nastasia Filipovna's, albeit at the cost of some impropriety. What he had certainly not reckoned on was a major scandal. The general was decidedly drunk, borne along in a tide of emotional eloquence, talking tearfully and incessantly. The interminable burden of all this was that, because of the reprehensible behavior of every member of his family, everything had gone to rack and ruin, and it was finally time to call a halt to this. They emerged at length onto Litienia. The thaw was continuing. A warm, damp wind whistled dismally along the streets. Carriages splashed through the mud as the horses, high steppers and nags alike, rang their hooves against the cobblestones. Damp, dispirited crowds of pedestrians wandered along the pavements, 
with here and there a drunk. You see all these first-floor windows lit up? The general was saying. My old comrades live all round here, while I, I, the most senior and battle-scarred of the lot, trudge along on foot to the Bolshoi Theatre, to the apartment of a woman of doubtful reputation, a man with thirteen bullets in his chest. You don't believe me? Why, it was entirely on my account that Pirogov left besieged Sebastopol for a while to telegraph Paris, and Nélaton, the court physician, managed to get a safe conduct in the name of science and turned up in Sebastopol to examine me. The highest authorities know about it. Oh, that's Evelgen, the one with thirteen bullets in him. That's how they talk, sir. See that house, Prince? An old comrade of mine lives there, General Sokolovich, with his most noble and numerous household. That house, and another three on the Nevsky, and two on Morskaya. That's the circle of my acquaintance nowadays. My own personal acquaintance, that is. Nina Alexandrovna resigned herself to circumstances long ago. I still keep the memory green, and relax, so to speak, in the cultivated society of my former comrades and subordinates, who adore me to this day. This General Sokolovich, I haven't been there or seen Anna Fyodorovna for ages, incidentally. You know, dear prince, when you don't entertain yourself, somehow you find you stop visiting others. However, hmm, you seem not to believe me. Anyway, why shouldn't I introduce the son of my best friend and childhood companion to that charming family household, General Evelgen and Prince Mishkin? You'll see an astonishing girl. No, two, three even. The very ornament of metropolitan society. Beautiful, cultivated, progressive. The woman question, poetry, all rolled up into one happy mixture. Not to mention a dowry of around 80,000 cash with every one of them. Never comes amiss, whatever feminine or social questions are involved. In short, I must certainly introduce you. It's my bounden duty. General Evelgen and Prince Mishkin. Now? This minute? But you've forgotten, began the prince. It's all right. It's all right, I haven't forgotten. Come along, this way, up this magnificent staircase. I wonder why there's no hall porter. Still, it's holiday time, and he'll have gone off somewhere. They haven't fired the drunken devil yet. This Sokolovich is indebted to me for the entire success of his life and career. To me, no one else. But here we are. The prince followed him up submissively, no longer protesting against the visit in order not to irritate him, fervently hoping that General Sokolovich and his entire family would little by little evaporate like a mirage and turn out to be non-existent, and they could ever so calmly go back down the staircase. But, to his horror, he found this hope was failing him. The general was conducting him up the stairs like someone who really did have acquaintances here, every moment adding more biographical and topographical details with mathematical precision. At length, when they had reached the first floor and halted on the right in front of the door of a luxurious apartment, and the general had grasped the bell-pull, the prince finally made up his mind to flee. However, an odd circumstance made him pause for a moment. "'You've made a mistake, general,' he said. "'It's got Kulakov on the door, and you wanted Sokolovich.' "'Kulakov? That doesn't mean a thing.' It's the Sokolovich apartment, and that's why I'm ringing. To hell with Kulakov. Ah, they're opening up. The door actually was opening. A footman peered out and announced that the master and mistress are not at home, sir. Just my luck, what a pity, what a pity, repeated Adalion Alexandrovich, desperately disappointed. Just tell them, my dear fellow, that General Evelgen and Prince Mishkin wish to pay their respects in person and are extremely sorry, extremely. At that moment, another face peeped out through the open door, apparently that of a housekeeper or perhaps a governess, a lady of about forty wearing a dark dress. She approached with mistrustful curiosity on hearing the names of General Evelgen and Prince Mishkin. Maria Alexandrovna's not at home. She spoke, eyeing the general closely. She's gone with the young lady, Alexandra Mikhailovna, to the grandmother's. Alexandra Mikhailovna gone too? Oh dear, that's terrible. 
Would you believe it, madam? This always happens to me. May I humbly beseech you to convey my greetings and remind me to Alexandra Mikhailovna? In short, pass on my best wishes for what they wished themselves last Thursday evening listening to Chopin's ballad. They'll remember. My most cordial greeting. General Evelgen and Prince Mishkin. I shan't forget, sir, said the lady, less suspicious now as she took leave of them. They descended the staircase, the general's enthusiasm undiminished as he continued to lament that they had failed to catch the family at home and that the prince had thus been deprived of such a charming acquaintance. You know, my dear fellow, I'm a bit of a poet at heart, have you noticed? However, however it does seem we didn't call at exactly the right flat, he concluded quite unexpectedly. I've just remembered Sokolovich lives somewhere else and I believe he's in Moscow at the moment anyway. Yes, I made a bit of a mistake there, but it doesn't matter. There's only one thing I want to know, the prince remarked gloomily. Should I stop relying on you altogether and go on my own? Stop? Rely? On your own? But whatever for, when this is such a major undertaking for me and so much of the future of my family depends on it? My dear young friend, you little know Evelgen. To say Evelgen is to say stone wall. You can rely on Evelgen like a stone wall. That's what they used to say back in the squadron where I began my service. I must just drop in for a minute at a house along the way where for several years now my soul has found repose after trials and tribulations. You want to go home? No, I want to go to Captain Terentiev's widow. He was my former junior officer, friend, even. At the widow's I revive my spirits. I bring all my worldly and family troubles here. And since I have a great load on my mind today, I... I think I've already made one terrible mistake in bothering you this evening, murmured the prince. Besides, now you're... Goodbye. But I can't let you go, my young friend, I just can't, cried the general. The widow is the mother of a family, and her heartstrings resonate through my whole being. Visiting her would be a matter of minutes. It's a second home to me. I virtually live here. I'll have a wash, tidy myself up a bit, then we'll get a cab to the Bolshoi Theatre. I assure you, I have need of you for the whole evening. In this house here, we've arrived already. Ah, Kolya, you're here. Is Martha Borisovna at home, or have you just got here yourself? Oh, no, replied Kolya, who had bumped into them in the doorway. I've been here ever so long, with Hippolyte. He's taken a turn for the worse. He was in bed this morning. I was just going down to the shop for some cards. Marta Borisovna is waiting for you. But, Papa, what a state you're in, concluded Kolya, looking closely at the general's walk and stance. Very well, then. Let's go. This encounter with Kolya inclined the prince to accompany the general to Marta Borisovna too, though only for a minute. The prince needed Kolya. He had resolved to abandon the general in any event, and couldn't forgive himself for imagining he could place any reliance on him that afternoon. It was a long climb up the back stairs to the fifth floor. Do you mean to introduce the prince? asked Kolya as they went. Yes, my dear, introduce him. General Evelgen and Prince Mishkin. But what? How is Marta Borisovna? You know, Papa, it might be best not to go in there. She'll kill you. You haven't shown your face for three days, and she's waiting for her money. Why on earth did you have to promise her that money? You're always the same. Now you'll have to get out of it somehow. On the fourth floor, they halted in front of a low door. The general visibly quailing, pushed the prince in front of him. I'll stay here, he mumbled. I want to make it a surprise. Kolya went in first. A lady of about forty, heavily rouged and painted, wearing slippers and a dressing jacket and with her hair in plaits, peered out of the door. The general's surprise abruptly evaporated. As soon as she caught sight of him, she immediately started shouting. There he is, the nasty, horrid man. I knew it in my bones. Let's go in. It's all right, muttered the general to the prince, still innocently trying to make light of it all. 
but it wasn't all right. No sooner had they passed through the low, dark hallway and into the narrow sitting room with its half-dozen wicker chairs and two card tables than the lady of the house at once continued in what must have been her habitual tone of assumed tearfulness. And you're not ashamed, are you? Cruel tyrant of my household, barbarian, monster, rob me of everything, suck me dry and still not satisfied? How much longer am I to put up with you, you shameless, dishonorable man? Marta Borisovna, Marta Borisovna, this is Prince Mishkin, General Ivelgan and Prince Mishkin, mumbled the general, flustered and trembling. Would you believe, the widow abruptly addressed the prince, would you believe that this man, without shame, does not spare my orphaned children? He's robbed me of everything, taken it all away to sell or pawn and left me nothing. What am I supposed to do with your IOUs, you cunning, unscrupulous man? Answer, you deceiver. Answer me, you insatiable devil. How shall I feed my orphan children now? Here he turns up drunk. He can hardly stand up. What have I done to provoke the wrath of the Lord God, you horrible, disgusting rogue? Answer! But the general had other things on his mind. Marta Borisovna, twenty-five roubles. That's all I can manage. Thanks to the help of my most noble friend... Prince, I was cruelly mistaken. Such is life. And now, forgive me. I feel weak. The general went on, standing in the center of the room and bowing in all directions. I feel weak. Forgive me. Lienutska, a pillow, sweetheart. Lienutska, an eight-year-old girl, at once ran for a pillow and placed it on the tattered oilcloth of the hard sofa. The general sat down on it, intending to say a great deal more, but as soon as he touched the sofa, he immediately bent over sideways, turned to the wall, and sank into the sleep of the just. The widow Tirentiev, with sad solemnity, motioned the prince to a chair by the card table and seated herself opposite, leaning her right cheek on her hand, and looked at him in silence, sighing. Three little children two girls and a boy, of whom Lenochka was the eldest, came up to the table. All three placed their hands on it, and all three began staring at the prince. Kolya appeared from the other room. I'm very glad I met you here, Kolya, the prince told him. Could you help me, I wonder? I have to get to Nastasia Filipovna's urgently. I asked Adalion Alexandrovich a while ago, but here he's gone to sleep. Can you take me there, as I don't know any of the streets or roads? I do have the address, however. It's near the Bolshoi Theatre, the Mitovtsev house. Nastasia Filipovna? Oh, she's never lived near the Bolshoi Theatre. And father's never been at her house, if you must know. It's funny you should expect anything of him. She lives near Vladimirskaya, by the Five Corners, much nearer here. You want to go there now? It's half past nine. If you like, I'll take you. The prince and Kolya left at once. Alas, the prince had no money for a cab, so they had to walk. I wanted to introduce you to Hippolyte, said Kolya. He's the eldest son of the widow in the jacket. He was in the next room. He's not well, and he's been in bed all day today. But he's a queer character. He's awfully touchy, and I couldn't help feeling he'd be ashamed to see you coming at such a moment. I'm not so ashamed as he is, because it's my father, but it's his mother. There's a difference there, you know, because a situation like that isn't seen as discreditable for a male. Still, it might just be prejudice that one's sex is more privileged in this respect. Hippolyte's an excellent chap, but he's a slave to certain prejudices. He's got consumption, you say? Yes, so it seems. Best if he dies quickly. In his place, I'd certainly want to do that. He feels sorry for his brothers and sisters, the little ones, I mean. If it were possible, if only there was enough money, he'd rent a separate flat and stay clear of both our families. That's what we dream about. You know what? When I told him just now about what happened to you, he got really annoyed and said that anybody who let himself be slapped in the face and didn't insist on a duel was a scoundrel. Anyway, he's frightfully quick-tempered, and I've stopped arguing with him now. So then, Nastasia Filipovna immediately invited you to come and see her, did she? That's the trouble. She didn't. How can you go, though? 
exclaimed Colia, stopping short in the middle of the pavement. And looking like that to a formal party. I honestly don't know. If they let me in, all right. If not, then I failed. As for my clothes, what can I do? Have you got some business in mind? Or are you just going to pass the time in polite society? No, I really... That is, I do have some business. I can't explain, but... Well, whatever it is, it's your affair. What matters as far as I'm concerned is whether you're forcing yourself into the charming company of trollops, generals, and moneylenders. If that's the way it was, excuse me, Prince, but I would laugh at you and start despising you. There are awfully few decent people hereabouts. There's really no one you can respect unreservedly. You can't help looking down on them, and yet they all insist on respect. Varya, most of all. And have you noticed, Prince, how everybody's on the make these days? Here, I mean, in Russia, in this beloved country of ours. How it all came about, I've no idea. Everything seemed to be so solidly based. But what's it like now? That's what everybody talks about, and people write about it everywhere. They expose things. Everybody exposes things here. Parents are the first to go on the retreat and feel ashamed at their former moral values. In Moscow now, a father tried to persuade his son to stop at nothing when it came to making money. It was in the papers. Look at that general of mine. Well, what's he turned into? And yet, you know, I really think my general's a decent chap. Really, I mean it. It's just the mess his life's in. That and the drink. Honestly, I mean it. I even feel sorry for him. Only I'm afraid to say so in case everybody laughs, but I really do. And what about the others, the clever ones? They're all moneylenders, every last one. Hippolyte defends moneylending. He says it has to be that way. Economic crisis, the ebb and flow of capital blasted. I hate to hear it from him, but he's all embittered. Just imagine his mother, the widow, gets money from the general and then lends it back to him at high interest. What a dreadful disgrace it is. And you know, Mama, my Mama, I mean, Nina Alexandrovna, helps Hippolyte with money, clothes, and everything, and partly provides for the children as well through Hippolyte because the widow neglects them. Varya helps as well. There you are, you see. There aren't any decent, strong-minded people about. Everybody's a moneylender, according to you. But now you have principled people, your mother and Varya. Lending a hand here in the circumstances is a mark of moral strength, isn't it? Varka does it out of vanity, just showing off and keeping up with Mother. Well, Mama, really, I respect her. I respect what she does and approve of it. Even Hippolyte feels that, and he's got a grudge against the world. At first he was inclined to laugh and thought it demeaning of her. But now he's beginning to feel it sometimes. Hmm, that's what you call strength, is it? I'll make a note of it. Ganya doesn't know about it, or he'd call it cosseting. So Ganya doesn't know? There's a good deal Ganya doesn't know besides that. The prince let slip as he mused. You know, prince, I like you a lot. I keep remembering that business this afternoon. Well, I like you very much too, Kolya. Look, where are you thinking of living here? I'll soon be working and earning a bit of money. Let's all live together. You, me, and Hippolyte. We'll get a flat. We can invite the general. I should be delighted. Still, we'll see. At the moment, I'm very, very upset. What? There already? In this house? What a splendid entrance. And a hall porter. Well, Kolya, I don't know what's going to come of this. The prince stood looking forlorn. You can tell me about it tomorrow. Don't be too intimidated. Good luck, anyway, because I think as you do about everything. I'm going back to tell Hippolyte. And of course they'll receive you, don't worry. She's awfully unconventional. Up this staircase, ground floor. The porter will show you. de choses et mon ami la rose me l'a dit ce matin à l'aurore je suis né baptisé de rosée je me suis 
épanouie, heureuse et amoureuse, au rayon du soleil, me suis fermée la nuit, me suis réveillée vieille. Pourtant j'étais très belle, oui j'étais la plus belle des fleurs de ton jardin. Le Dieu qui m'a faite me fait courber la tête Et je sens que je tombe, et je sens que je tombe Mon cœur est presque nu, j'ai le pied dans la tombe Déjà je ne suis plus Tu m'admirais hier, et je serai poussière Pour toujours demain de choses et mon ami la rose est morte ce matin la lune cette nuit a veillé mon ami moi en rêve j'ai vu éblouissante et nue son âme qui dansait bien au-delà des nues et qui me souriait crois celui qui peut croire moi j'ai besoin d'espoir, sinon je ne suis rien Ou bien si peu de choses C'est mon ami la rose qui l'a dit hier matin
indeed my ex-classmates kids that's the fall and it's a track from the new lb you are no are you are missing winner and one or two emails actually on the subject of the fall which i'll read uh, in the next 10 minutes or so john.peelerbbc.co.uk and i apologize for sounding slightly hysterical at the start of the program but we only just got back here in time to do the program so uh, i think everything's under control and i'm kind of relaxed and you know cool now uh right our party the 24th it was on the 24th of september and it happened where did it happen neat it was at the uh, king's college student union off the strand in london and first on stage billy bragg just had an experience i never thought i'd had again i was in one of the lifts with all of pig bag living in sin A hot day The smell of hairspray And the sound of a shower Running softly It seems like this suit Remind me how I felt The first time you came back For coffee The way you took it Amazed me Kissing in the dark My head against your pillow Late at night a lover sings That a man devout Finding out all about love I say that a man devout Finding out all about love 
substitute for a bull strap squarely and firmly. You're the kind of girl who wants to open up the bottle of pop too early in the journey. Our love went flat just like that. Matter the color of the car, but what goes on beneath the bonnet? Zero flag that flies above your heart and is my name with their opponent. Wedding cake and toothache, it love and pain, love and pain, love and pain. Walking in the park, kissing on the carpet. Sights around your ankles Late night lover Thinks of these things Adam and Eve Are finding out All about Adam and Eve Are finding out All about Teresa and Steve Are finding out All about love Yeah, you student audiences are all the same. Yak, 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 picking up birds all evening while I'm playing. It takes me, it doesn't take me back at all, it's just like... two-day weekend. I think it's shameful that we've pissed away uh, having a two-day weekend just so we can go shopping a bit more. It's outrageous. Our ancestors 
struggle to get two days a week off, and I think we should claim one of those days uh, back. But I'm not talking about, uh, thank you, yeah. I'm not talking about Saturday, I'm talking about Monday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hear me, brothers and sisters. I'm talking about Monday. And uh, this song takes its title from uh, the struggle of uh, cloth workers in Tudor, England, uh, whose, uh, whose job it was uh, to turn sheep into beautiful cod pieces for Henry the 5th, Henry the 6th, Henry the 7th, Henry the 8th. And uh, they were only allowed to have one day off a whole year, and that was their saint's day. They had their own saint. And so they had a union meeting, and they got themselves a new saint, who they called Saint Monday. <laughs> Bearing down on me I'm watching the clock and The clock is watching me Don't have to be cool but you know I am Don't have to be here but you know that I'm a Hard worker but I ain't working on a Monday I'm a hard worker but I ain't working on a Monday a hard working fella, I ain't working on a Monday. Send Mondays to the weekend to me. Oh. Two dozen inquiries are on hold for me. My ship supervisor is staring hard at me. Say what the matter is. I'm trying to recharge my batteries. I'm a hard worker, but I ain't working on a Monday. I'm a hard worker, but I ain't working on a Monday. A hard working fellow, I ain't working on a Monday. Send Mondays to the weekend to me. Somewhere out on the road, I just want to be free. Want to get high on life But first I've got to get me back home Nobody can say what the matter is I'm trying to recharge my batteries I'm a Hard work, but I ain't working on a Monday. I'm a hard work, but I ain't working on a Monday. A hard working fella, I ain't working on a Monday. A hard working fella, I ain't working on a Monday. No, no. Couldn't let tonight uh, uh, my spot up here go by anyway without just saying a, a word of appreciation to uh, to Peel's wife Sheila, uh, without whom, without whom, without whom we may not be uh, standing tonight. We owe her a great debt of thanks. I want to dedicate this one to you, Sheila. Me and Woody Guthrie wrote this one for you. Lost and wasted Attract the most balanced and sane And the wild and the reckless Take up with the clock and the times 
mixture is all of us and we're still mixing, yeah. Never, 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 never could have it been done if the women hadn't entered into the deal like she came along to me. And all creeds and kinds and colors of us are blending till I suppose ten million years from now. We'll all be just alike Same color, same kind Working together Maybe we'll have all of the fascists out the way by then Maybe so Never, never, never Never could have it been done if the women hadn't entered into the deal Like she came along to me Thanks very much. Uh, I want to thank uh, the BBC for inviting me down here to be part of uh, part of this celebration uh, for one reason uh, or, or another over the years. Every time anything's been done to get together like this at Peel Acres to celebrate anything, I've always been out there on the road. This is the one time I've ever been around to take part. I'm very, very pleased to be here. Peel, uh, his uh, 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 encouragement, his support has meant a lot to me and people like myself. It goes on. Uh, the next Billy Bragg out there somewhere playing with himself or herself in a bedroom somewhere, uh, desperately trying to get a break, and Peel's there to give him so. Appreciate it, John. Thanks very much. Waiting to be saved in the Philippines Wait forever for the young Marines I believe to be here is right to say that I'm scared tonight Crouching in this hole With a mouth full of sand What comes first? The country or the man? Look at those slanted eyes Coming up over the hill Catching us by surprise It's time to kill or to be killed Over here, over there It's the same everywhere A boy cries out for his mother Before he dies for his home Wanted to be as 
clever and strong as my best friendly we grew up together along half moon bay lee was japanese born in the usa when tommy was fighting jerry along the river scene me and lee we wanted to do the same Harbor at the break of day. I was headed for these islands and Lee was hauled away. They said, Look at his slanted eyes, he's guilty as guilty can be. Sent here as enemy spies. To sabotage the land of the free Over here, over there It's the same everywhere A boy cries out for his mom Before he dies for his home I never got home my platoon was never saved That little foxhole became my island grave Lee got out of jail But a prisoner he remained Till he ended his own life To lose that ball and chain They said, oh, little slanted eyes, can you forgive and forget? And he said, oh, Mr. Friendly Ghost, can you catch water in a net? Over here, over there, it's the same everywhere. A boy cries out for his mama. Before he dies for his home A boy cries out for his mama Before he dies for his home Still a lovely man, that's Billy Bragg on the party on September the 24th First session 18 years ago now, you know, amazing, really. Nice that he dedicated a song to you as well, Pig. Yeah, it's really kind of him. OK, do you want to uh, introduce Pig's Big 78? The Wedding of the Painted Doll by Bid Goods Symphonic Dance Band. You got it right this time, OK. Right. Eight-inch single, this. Well done. Here we go.
that's the wedding of the painted doll. It's a tune that used to be on the radio a great deal when I was a lad. Uh, Bidgood's symphonic dance band, although not necessarily in that version. That was the Pigs being 78. And emails have been pouring in, of course, over the last 20 minutes or so. Here's one from Martin Ridges, I guess it is, saying you may have addressed this burning social issue. Uh, but is that Nigel from Half Man, Half Biscuit threatening your voice over preeminence in uh, an ad for uh, a certain brand of petrol? I think it is, as a matter of fact, because uh, I seem to remember him telling me that he was going to do one. And uh, I don't know whether he uses the petrol in question. I try and, to be honest, to defend myself, uh, we do use the stuff that I advertise, genuinely so. Incidentally, there's uh, a Stone Market band that are going to be doing a few gigs in the next uh, week or so, and uh, I hope if you get the chance to go and see them, you will, because obviously not much comes out of Stone Market, really, and uh, it would be nice to, if they got a little bit of support. The band's called Ms. World, which is spelled M-I-S-W-O-R-L-D, and they play tomorrow night, actually, at the Shed in Leicester, and then uh, Putney Half Moon on the 16th, that's a Wednesday, and Islington Hope and Anchor in London on Monday the 22nd of October. That's uh, Ms. World, go and see them, give them a yell for us. And uh, here's an email from David Patterson saying, just writing to employ you to confiscate the new Fall album from your William, play some tracks on the radio. I've already done that. I uh, understand it won't be released for several weeks, and even then I expect it'll be very difficult to get hold of, especially down here. He doesn't say we're down here. Oh, from Melbourne, Australia. It may easily be, yeah. Uh, and he says, uh, enjoy the live sets on the programme. Melt Banana was or something else, and Mogwai should be great. Mogwai, of course, will be play playing for us next Wednesday, live from our Maida Vale studio. Right, what have I got for you now?